Welcome back to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast, Season 2, baby. This is your host, BBT Steph, and I'm so excited to continue sharing and uncovering the many layers of the physical therapy profession so that you can be the best clinician you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of season two of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Today we are changing speed a little bit. We are going to be chatting with Doctor of Chiropractic Thomas Kern to get us started. Why don't you give us a little bit of background and tell us how you got to where you are today? Hey Steph, thanks for uh, having me. First off, my name is Tom Kern. I am a practicing chiropractor in Midtown Manhattan. I've been practicing for about eight years, always in private practice. I have done home health care, things like that, getting started. Previously to that, I was a exercise physiology undergraduate and worked as a personal trainer, CSCS, all that fun stuff. Originally was looking into PT. That was kind of one of my main goals, but I went to school in West Virginia. And if you know anything about West Virginia, they are not the healthiest state. So I had some pretty bad and boring PT volunteering, where it just, I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life, working with total knee replacements. I was like, this just, this isn't for me. Randomly ran into a a family friend at a wedding. He kind of brought up chiropractic and told me to come shadow him. He was in a a CrossFit gym and it was great. It was exactly what I wanted to do, work with athletes, work with active people trying to recover from injury. So I ended up going to New York Chiropractic College, which is now Northeast College of Health Sciences. Got my DC there, then went on to get my board certification in sports medicine, and then worked as an associate for a couple of years. And then finally, actually ended up partnering with the group that I associated with. And I've been uh, working in my own private practice, which is a chiropractic and physical therapy multidisciplinary practice in Midtown Manhattan. We've had podiatrists as well, acupuncturists, massage therapists, um, a bunch of other healthcare providers. And work pretty closely with pain management doctors as well. So kind of a a nice uh, multifaceted approach to it. Nice. And then the first thought that comes to mind, which someone listening may be thinking this too, and you're like, wait a second, this guy's saying he wants to work with active people. Can't PTs work with active people too? So kind of what in your eyes differentiates maybe what you do versus what a PT does, or maybe they're very similar. Like what's your take on that? I do think it depends. And it's a great question because I do think the lines are starting to blur. I know you have PTs doing manipulations now and mobilizations, Cairo's doing Ferex and all that type of stuff. The lines are definitely starting to blur. I really don't think there's much of a difference now. I definitely think Cairo's still do more hands-on. I, I think we do a lot more manual, but that's also starting to change, you know, and there are still some chiropractors that just adjust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not quite my philosophy, but teach their own. Then PTs, I think are a little bit more exercise based, but I think that also kind of depends too now where you can walk in, you'll see a lot of manual therapists. So I don't really think there's much of a difference. I think you just have to learn and kind of figure out what you like. Yeah. So I was curious, like there was no wrong answer there. Obviously you said eight years ago, and I feel like it's more so maybe even in the last less than five years that things have really blurred more than ever before. I mean, I'm only three years out, so I can't really speak to experience, but just from what I hear from other clinicians, that it's obviously, you know, between 
the whole who's fighting for what insurance rebate and who's fighting for this kind of care for this patient and then you know who can get their hands on the patient first when it comes to like treatment because the patient doesn't even understand what really the difference is so I think you know in time obviously given social media and more that's out there it's I feel like I agree it's definitely been blurring a lot more than probably ever before yeah and like you said with social media I think that's going to be so important as much as I hate social it's (laughs) but we connected on social (laughs) I know I know it's just it's necessary now especially if you're a small business owner you just have to be on there because people can see your philosophy and see how you practice if you do it well and and kind of see what they're getting into before they actually I mean, it's the best way to, to really vet your providers before, rather than just going to their website and reading reviews and stuff like that. Obviously, you should do that too, but social is always good for that. Yeah, and it's definitely taken off. I mean, granted, I feel like with TikTok too, in the past two years, it's so easy to go viral and blow up tremendously. So businesses are definitely affected by that as well. You mentioned that you were working for this practice and then you became a partner with them, correct? So what was the transition like, you know, how far into your career were you when that transition happened? And then like, what kind of roles and responsibilities did you take on that kind of, you know, changed in that time period? Sure. Yeah. I always wanted to be a business owner because that was one reason why I really liked both Cairo and physical therapy. And and it was between those two professions because I wanted to run my own practice. I don't love having bosses. I want to do it myself. I just want that freedom. If I want to go on vacation, I go on vacation. That's how I want to live my life. Yeah. And not bad thing. so we started as an associateship. I needed to learn a lot more. Obviously I knew that I didn't know anything about insurances really. We took a class in, in school, but it's like, until you're in it and actually doing it, it's difficult. At least for me, it was. So it was kind of good having a mentor try and show me what to do, how to do it, learn the ropes. And then after about two and a half years, I started growing a name for myself, you know, networking with other doctors, networking with physical, other physical therapists, honestly, personal trainers, just throughout the city and uh, started growing my own practice pretty much within that practice. And they wanted to expand the group. I was getting ready to kind of go out on my own. And it was just a good opportunity for us to partner up, kind of combine resources and it's been great since then. I mean, COVID has definitely changed things a little bit because we've been open for about four and a half years here, but that transition going from associate to owner was tough. I mean, that was difficult. Like it took a decent amount of savings and definitely some sleepless nights, but (laughs) if you got the drive for it, you can definitely do it. And it worked out pretty well. Nice. What's a typical day look like for you now, given these responsibilities, obviously you're still practicing as a clinician. So like, what's the day look like? It's honestly, you have to just be able to wear a lot of hats, uh, especially getting started before you can really build out your team. I'm fortunate enough where I can kind of have a bit of a team underneath me. I've got a great receptionist. One of my best friends is, is our physical therapist. We partnered together and brought him in to kind of run the PT department. So we have a couple of physical therapist aides as well. And then I just hired my first for this location, a full-time associate, which has been so helpful, but really it starts with just kind of coming in and handling some of the admin work. You know, I always kind of have a quick little team meeting just to kind of review the schedule, see what needs to go on, see what some of the most important aspects are that we need to take care of. If there's any real issues that needs to be addressed that day and kind of give, just give everybody a little bit of a game plan. Then I always kind of start by looking at the bank accounts to kind of do some of the, my own bookkeeping 
do all that stuff myself. It doesn't take too long. Then I'll kind of cross-reference it with all the insurance payments. So I spend usually a couple hours a day, not even a couple hours, but depends how much is coming in to actually go through the insurance payments, all the bookkeeping, that type of stuff. Then depending on the schedule, I'll still have some patience. So I like treating. I love the art of treating. I really don't ever want to give it up, but it definitely becomes time consuming. So I definitely try to treat some patients as well. And then I usually will have miscellaneous things to do. There are always some sort of meetings that I have. I volunteer on a few of the national organizations. So on a couple of those committees, and there are usually phone calls going on. Like right now, I'm trying to implement a data analytics company for our office. And those are requiring constant phone calls just to kind of tweak things, update things to make sure that implementation is going well. So just kind of little different projects, which is what I love about it. It's I've got ADD, so I just need different things going on. And I think that's great for business owners. If you can have different projects going on, it keeps the day interesting. Like that's what I love. My day is never really exactly the same. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes and definitely you have to kind of be all over the place. So it's a lot to manage, but it could definitely be fun if that's what your speed is. <laughs> I, yeah, that I love. Otherwise I get bored. We talked a little bit about this in the messages before we hopped on the podcast. You mentioned that your clinic is mostly out of network, correct? Correct. Yeah. So to maybe a student or someone who's listening that isn't really familiar with like the out of network process or what, how it differs from insurance, how would you describe it? So what I've learned is yeah, New York City is a different beast sometimes. From what I've learned with people not in this state, they look at me like I have six heads. So like, what is in network, out of network? So basically, out of network means I do not contract with any of the insurance companies. New York is probably one of the worst states, if not the worst, for insurance reimbursement. And it's not getting any better. So I am technically out of network. What that means is a lot of patients are going to be cash, cash-based. Or if they have the out-of-network benefits, once you meet their deductible or, or their out-of-pocket maximum, that's when the insurance would be paying you their rate. So they wouldn't have to be paying out-of-pocket anymore. So after they would pay a cash rate up to, say, $500, that's when insurance would start paying more of the bill. So it would actually get a little bit cheaper for them to go through that. Okay. And then obviously, of course, with every plan, it differs by what the rate is and so forth. Correct. Every plan is totally different. It's based on pretty much how much employers want to pay for it. They can also offer their employees several different plans, you know, three, four, five different plans per company. Some have out of network benefits, some don't. If someone's looking to go into practice, right? Obviously with the way reimbursements are going, I feel like the short answer is going to be don't take insurance and try to do out of network and try to be cash-based. But maybe they're in an area where they don't think that the demographic is able to afford like a higher cash-based rate. What would you recommend to someone who's kind of like torn between the two of like, well, I want to charge my worth and like be paid appropriately, but also reimbursements are terrible, but like is cash really or out of network really worth it? And you're kind of like going through the back and forth. It's hard, it is, especially in New York City, if you're gonna have a physical location, you have to make sure that your margins, you can make a living. You know, right. you've gotta pay for rent, you've gotta pay for all these other services, a receptionist, supplies, insurance, everything. You've really gotta take a look at how many patients you wanna treat, what your 
in-network reimbursement rates are going to be, you know, so like United Healthcare for chiropractors, it doesn't matter if, if you see them for three minutes or for three hours, you're getting $68. That's it. So from a business model, I think most people can afford more than that, honestly. So you have to really just try and weigh what type of practice you're going to make. Are you going to be spending a ton of one-on-one -on -one time with your patients, that's going to demand a higher rate and it's going to be more specialized. Or are you planning on running four patients an hour? That's also going to be a totally different model. And I think that does depend. It's tough to say because you really have to look at what your cost of doing business is going to be. Mm -hmm. And rent is expensive, but you do have to also look at what people can afford. So it takes a lot of market research. Um, but you are right. The reimbursement rates are going down every year. So I think out of network is going to be for cash base is going to be the way, but to do that, you have to provide value. Right. And that course. can be hard. So that you have to really focus and hone in your, your skills and get good results because people aren't going to want to just keep coming every single day. Mm -hmm. You need to really do a good job of networking, developing those referral sources and providing a good service. I mean, obviously there's PTs and other clinicians in the practice in addition to you being a chiropractor. It's, does everyone kind of follow the same model of how many patients they see every hour or like what, what's the model that you guys use being out of network? Just for my practice? Yeah. So it does depend. Now that I have an associate, it's opened up a lot more um, freedom. So typically I'm seeing patients for about 45 minutes. 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how much we can actually get done. It also kind of depends on how much time the patient has, and that will depend on how much we are actually billing. Luckily, we have gotten positioned ourselves where we still work with a lot of the good insurances that are out there. So they may only have a three, $500 deductible, and then maybe a thousand dollar out of pocket, and then insurance pays everything. So mm. to them, they see the value in it and it's not breaking the bank. So those still exist they're just becoming less frequent. But when you can kind of network, especially in the city, if you do a good job at one office, word spreads. It spreads like crazy. And I've always been the person where I need my attention focused on one person. So I really do one-on-one -on -one care. It's difficult to scale sometimes unless you can find the right hire, but I just wouldn't be able to sleep at night running six people an hour and not even knowing their name and just having a tech run them while I'm just documenting. Like, that's just not a way for me to do it. Or just the traditional, I'll adjust everything and then see you later. Like, that's yeah. just, no, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. And I totally agree. So it's good that you find that balance, like you said, between, you know, where you're still kind of getting paid or valued at what you are worth, you're able to pay the bills and your salary as well. But like, yeah. you're also, you know, ethically treating the patient in a sense where you're not having them run all over the place with AIDS and not really getting to know them, which I think holds a high value in itself. And a lot of people I feel like struggle with showing that to patients sometimes. So I feel like that's a skill that if someone were to want to go down this route that they really need to like hone in on and focus on because the person needs to really understand like why they should come to you versus A, using insurance or B, just going to another clinic entirely. Yeah. I mean, that problem a lot of times takes care of itself because they will sometimes be like, oh, I can't afford it. And they'll end up leaving. They go to an in-network place and they're like, like, I don't know what the point of that was. They were seen for three minutes and the doctor 
barely touched them and put them on stim and that was all they got. So a lot of times that takes care of itself if you can demonstrate that value. But one of the things that like any student or new grad should learn, work on your communication skills. A lot of people think communication as just talking and getting your point across. Sometimes it's just shutting up and listening to what your patient wants. Mm -hmm. And if you can figure out what their why is, you will have a patient for life. I can't tell you how many patients I've had where they're like, yeah, he didn't just, he just didn't seem like he was listening to me or she didn't seem like he cared or paid attention. And they never, it was always something different. It's like, if you can sit down and understand what that person wants to accomplish and just listen to them, it will go so far. People are so frustrated in healthcare now with the quick doctor appointment in and out. He didn't even look up at me. And that's mm-hmm. where I think we really set ourselves apart by we actually spend time with our patients. I know my patients better than anybody in their life. And they get that. And yeah. that, I think, really keeps them coming back. I think that's such a solid point to make. And I know something I've kind of, obviously, you have to learn sometimes when to kind of take over the conversation. But I think especially as a student, because you start school and in the beginning of your education, you're so textbook oriented still where you're just like, oh, I have to ask this. I have to know this. I have to know what their history is, what, what their shoulder range of motion is, whatever, that you forget that there's an actual being in front of you that has just real life issues and they want to be able to tell someone because they want to be able to get back to doing X, Y, Z for whatever the reason is. But if you're actually able to like just take an extra couple of minutes, you don't even need to take like a full half hour sometimes and listen, just a few minutes might make such a huge difference because like you said, so many clinicians just in healthcare in general just are so overwhelmed and are so in and out. And I feel like when you're in the rehab space, you have the ability to really get to know the person in front of you, which is very unique. And we see our patients so much more frequently than other doctors. I mean, if I see a patient, it's very rare I see a patient three times a week, but if I do, you know, that's a lot of time and even twice a week or once a week if you're treating a patient. And the thing I love about sports medicine is that they constantly get hurt from doing stupid (laughs) things. So you have a nice little recurring business there as much as I hate to see people get hurt. But I mean, as an athlete myself, like it just happens, Mm -hmm. but I've been treating people for five years, six years, not because like, oh, they're just not getting better. It's like, no, they do get better. It's just they go and run a marathon and now they have another issue or something along those lines. So, so I've seen patients like grow up, like get married, like have kids. I'm like, damn, like, I remember when you were like a, a single bachelor, <laughs> like this is weird. And now the times have changed. Yeah, exactly. But that's good. And that means obviously you have an, a good rapport with these patients that one, they're not only coming back, but you obviously get to know them over time. So that way you're also better helping them with whatever their goals are. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some people who just come in for, you know, just feeling a little off. When you can develop that trust in a patient, it's huge because they will tell you things that they don't tell other doctors. You truly get to know them. And I think understanding that is such a big piece of really growing a practice, especially where you're going to be charging premium rates. And that's honestly the only way to do it in New York, because the reimbursements in network are just getting so low that you just have to to charge that premium. (laughs) Always fun. Good old New York just messes everything up, of course, with the exponentially high rate of rent and God knows what else these days. (laughs) I wonder why I'm here so often. (laughs) Are you from New York? Yeah, I'm originally from Long Island, so it just kind of made sense to to work in the city. I wanted to be close to my family, close to friends, 
and I love the city. It's got this gravitational pull, no matter how many times I've tried to get away from it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are so many other states that are good to practice. <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit better. Every every state always has its pluses and minuses. Yeah, um, absolutely. For those listening, I always have my guests fill out a little Google Doc so I can get to know them better. And I noticed when I was reading through yours, you mentioned that you're getting a master's in healthcare admin and an MBA. So mm -hmm. tell me why you chose those like individually, but also both of them. And like, like what's the thought process behind that? So originally I, I always wanted to get a master's. I, if it weren't for the cost, I'd be a perpetual student, you know, like it's important, but my biggest issue was, especially when COVID came, there was just things that I didn't learn in school, running a small business. Like you don't learn financial statements. You just don't learn the basics of running and operating a small business. And that's why I, it was really helpful to have partners when I first started out because they helped kind of show me the way, but everything is changing in healthcare. Now it's getting harder. Your mistakes are more expensive. You need to really understand it. So I really enjoyed the healthcare admin aspect because it was a focus on entrepreneurship and leadership. And it was giving me that kind of foundation that I needed to run a small business and hopefully grow and expand a business. That's really interesting to me. I, I do love the business aspect of it and building something and growing something and, and building a brand. The dual MBA came in because they just started to accept different transfer classes. So it just kind of opened up some more doors, especially if I want to go on to other projects when I get older, kind of keep my options open. And again, the information is just great. I think it's so important and something that is just missing in school. You don't learn how to run a business. You don't learn how to grow a business. You don't learn the necessity to succeed in business. And I don't want to be an employee. I don't. And that gets really difficult. This was really just kind of a fail safe, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own and I love it. Eventually would love to open up a consulting firm. So I've kind of got that project in the works because I think there is such a lack of business education in Cairo and PT schools and people want it. People are becoming more entrepreneurial yet they don't always know where to get the information from or they end up going with one of these predatory coaching and consulting places <laughs> that just end up fleecing them. And they promise you 10 K months though. So like, why would you not do them? <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. That just like made my day. <laughs> yeah. It's a joke. Like you're going to get you 10,000 followers on Instagram and get you all these fun. Like shut up. No, you're not. In Cairo school, do you get any business classes or have any business classes? We did, but it was very basic like accounting. It wasn't much. I do think there is more than PT just because chiropractors typically seem to be a bit more entrepreneurial in yeah. general, just because of necessity. Like we don't have the hospital opportunities that, that PT has, which I'm fine with, but it's just in order to survive as a profession, I think we need to be a bit more entrepreneurial, but you're seeing it so much more now in PT, nursing, everything. You're seeing more people wanting to open up their own practices. It's becoming difficult because everything in healthcare is getting consolidated. And you're seeing hospitals like NYU or Northwell just buying everybody up. Yep. So if you want to actually be a standalone practice, you need to know what you're doing in order to compete. And that's where I think it's going to be helpful. And that's really what I want to do is teach people how to get started because nobody knows how to get started. I had no idea what 
a W9 was or what a HICFA was or, <laughs> you know, how to get credentialed with insurance companies, how to actually get paid. It's hard. It's and, not easy, but it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And then there are some ways where you can just like call and like it gets done in like a day, but you don't know that when you're first starting out. So you end up wasting so much time. So my ultimate goal would be to create some sort of class or something for students just to help them with that because it's such a need in the, in the profession and I think it would really be helpful for everybody so that's my kind of like life mission at this point <laughs> got to give back to things that you wish you knew that you had when you were in that position right of course, I feel like yeah. that's, what I, that's what I do with my platform too so I'm like these are all things that I struggled with or wish I knew or wish I had someone tell me but now let me just help somebody else with it yeah, I mean, you're doing such a great job targeting those students and new grads and just trying to help them through. PT in Cairo is so similar where we eat our own young. We just work them to the bone. They get furious about it. They end up leaving the profession. They don't truly see how great it could be. They don't even have time to think about what they're doing for treatment. It's just, okay, I, I just got to focus on managing these six patients that are in front of me right now. And it's just going to be shitty care. Do chiropractors have the same problems that PTs do? Because I feel like physical therapy, we have like the quote unquote mill, which they're seeing like three, four patients, five patients every hour, but then they're mostly seen by AIDS. But I feel like, I mean, maybe my view is skewed, but like, I feel like chiropractors, at least to me, were always were like their own little mom and pop type like places. Like they weren't like corporate mills or chains. Oh yeah, you've got plenty of mills. I, I've talked to people that took jobs in other offices, not so much in Manhattan. It's going to be out in the outer boroughs, but they're like, if I'm with a patient for more than three minutes, it's too long. And it's like, that's insane. What? Yeah. I've seen offices where they have them trained to clean. They have the patient trained to like change the face paper and clean the table. Like it's disgusting. And then they'll pay. The patient. Like, yes. Yeah. Legitimately. It's sick. Unfortunately, they're like taking a lot of the top talent because they can afford to pay more. Mm. and it's becoming a bigger issue and then that that chiropractor is just like this sucks like why would I ever want to do this for practice for the rest of my life it's like it's soul sucking and then you get um, burned out and then you're like what else can I do with my life yeah and then they leave the profession like, like the dropout rate or, or the change of profession rate within five years is astronomical it's I'm sure huge. it's not far from PT yeah I don't, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head but it's not great and uh, that's a large reason why but yeah, we definitely have the mills. They're no fun to work in. Knock on wood, I've never been involved in one. I've, I've avoided them pretty well. So I'm happy about that. That's a good thing. For students who are kind of in that transition of third year for PT school, because it's three years, or Cairo, they're in their fourth year. So they're about to graduate or they just graduated and they got their first job. Then they're like, you know what? I really kind of want either to open up my own place or, you know, go up the clinical ladder but I have no idea how to get started. So like, what would your tips be for someone who's like looking to get into that or make that transition one day? Save money. Definitely save money. Really understand the time commitment it takes. Really do your research on where you want to go and have a plan. You know, a plan is nothing, but planning is everything. You need to understand the environment you're going to go into. You need to understand you don't just start printing money right away. Most small businesses, it takes at least three years to become cash flow positive. So mm -hmm. you have to have time, network, 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 network. That is literally everything. 
once I started doing that, that's where I really started to gain steam. Don't be afraid to ask people for things, ask for help at, even if it's just like a quick phone call, anything like that, just ask, you'd be amazed how many people will say yes, but just shadow too. Like I went and shadowed a ton of different Cairo offices and saw what worked, what didn't work. And I could pick and choose aspects of each practice that I wanted to implement in my own. So that was really helpful for me. I really never imagined opening up in Manhattan. It just, I fell in love with it. I love the, the, the models that were here and there's a lot of opportunity. So I think you just have to kind of do your due diligence and really make sure that you are ready to work your ass off because it's not going to be easy and it's not for everybody. Business ownership is not for everybody. And you have to make sure you are that type of person who is going to be ready for it. But I would say just have a plan. It's the biggest thing. Plan is always the best place to start. How do you think someone would know if they're like really cut out for it? Do you even know if there's a way for someone to tell if they're cut out for it? I've heard that so much before that it takes, you know, a couple of years for a business to be profitable. What's your encouragement or tips for someone to kind of stick it out until they get to that point? It's a good question. You, you want to see growth. You know, you want to see that there you're going in the positive direction. There are definitely, if I could have done it a little differently, I'm sure they would have. Like I ended up locking into a big long-term lease and my overhead started out very high, but we were able to honestly do a pretty good job of getting going. So it kind of just worked out, but start with a side hustle, start with home health, make sure you can actually grow a practice, make sure you can actually grow a business and understand it. I think, I don't know if I'm quite answering the question because it really is kind of one of those things where like, I always knew from when I was younger, like this was what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Like not necessarily as a chiropractor, but be a business owner. You kind of just got to jump in. And, and hopefully it works out. You know, I remember what I was talking with my dad before I opened up. I was like, man, this is like, oh, I can do this. And he was just like, worst case scenario, you end up back home. Like, that's it. Like, I'm very happy I did it when I was younger. A lot less to lose as opposed to waiting till I'm 40 with a family, kids, and a lot more people depending on me. Because the risks were, when I started, were a lot less lower. Right? You know, worst case scenario, like my dad said, I, just move back home as much as that sucks but. Was it, which wouldn't be like the best thing but you know it could be worse yeah it could be worse <laughs> home cooked meals every now and then this is true always free food maybe free rent i don't know i would hope so <laughs> just lost my business i'm hoping i'll get free rent <laughs> yeah like don't kick me while i'm already down yeah exactly <laughs> awesome uh, do you have any final tips or final thoughts before we start wrapping up no, just get as much experience as possible. It's a great industry. I think the future is really built for us. I think you can really make a huge impact going forward. You know, another one of my passions is really just trying to work with like the opioid ep epidemic. I think Cairo and PT has a huge opportunity to help with that and just enjoy it. Like it is a great profession. And if you're at a shitty job, just quit. Like there is so much opportunity out there right now that you can easily find another job. Don't wait for like this whole like year long, like to, it looks bad on a resume. If you know within 90 days that it's not going to be the right place for you, just don't be afraid to leave. Like look for something else. Like don't waste your time and find what you really like. And that's why I would say just network, 
and observe as many places as, as humanly possible. And that's really where you get a good idea of what you're cut out for. Yeah, I think the the various experiences, it's going to be huge. Because like even you said earlier, it's you're going to see what you do like or what you even don't like. And then it, you know, kind of figures itself out in the end. And you are able to create what it is exactly that you are looking for and what you're the most passionate about. Yeah, I agree 100%. Awesome. <laughs> Where can people find you if they have any questions or want to chat? Sure. Really, I don't love social. So uh, the only <laughs> one I'm really actually actively on is Instagram. And it's just uh, Tom Kern DC. Kern is spelled K E A R N. Yeah, I really got to get better with social. So I mean, it's very time consuming. So I don't blame you when you're, if you're running like a full time, like brick and mortar business. Social media is a business in itself. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I can imagine. I don't know how you do it. Barely. I survived. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of wine at night, but it, it works. There's nothing wrong with that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure chatting with you and you guys know where to find him if you have any questions. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.